Here's a phrase that uh, you may or may never have heard before. Are you ready? Some of you English cats, linguists out there may know what I'm talking about, but I skipped that because I didn't pay attention for like seven years in high school, all seven of them in high school. You ready? Semantic satiation. Semantic satiation is a phenomenon whereby the uninterrupted repetition of a word eventually leads to a sense that that word has lost its meaning. G.K. Chesterton says this, Have you ever tried the experiment of saying some plain word? Such as dog 30 times. Come on, let's do it. No, I'm just kidding. By the 30th time, it has become a word like snark or poddle. It does not become tame in those 30 times. It becomes wild by repetition. Semantic satiation, right? The more we repeat words over and over again, out of nowhere that word seems to lose or change its meaning. Here are two words that I think have lost meaning, and there are many others, in the evangelical church. One, gospel. We say it a lot, don't we? The gospel. Oh, we're a gospel-centered church. What about the gospel? We stand on the gospel. The gospel. The gospel. <laughs> right? Oh, no, our church is about the gospel. We're about the gospel. The gospel. The gospel. The gospel. The gospel. And then I say, what are they talking about? No one even knows. Or another one, faith or belief. I believe. Right? Our faith. I think those words, due to their repetition, we use them all the time, we use them, uh, we can lose meaning the more we talk about things. And I don't think it's the word's fault, right? We don't need a new word, right? We don't need a new word, we don't need a new way of thinking, we don't need a new idea. We just need a new perspective and a new mind that approaches the true meaning of the word. So today we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the gospel. We're going to look at our faith. That is what we believe. All right, this is, you may ask the question, why? Why are we doing this? Well, first of all, from a practical perspective, this is the first part of what we're calling connecting point. Right, if we're talking about church membership, many of the questions that we get asked about people who are discerning uh, whether or not they want to be a part of a congregation, is what is your understanding of the gospel? Your understanding of salvation. And what is your basic beliefs? What do you believe about this, that, or the other thing? So when we talk about membership, it makes sense that we begin by the thing that we build the church on, right? Our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of sound doctrine. And our hope in doing so is that we can maybe even in a small way return to its true meaning. Now, 
And I'm not saying that only our understanding or our gospel statement or our doctrine is the only one that is true, but our pursuit together tonight is that. Our pursuit together is not to lose the meaning of these understandings or to further confuse our understanding of the gospel and our faith, but to rather clarify and to cement the true understanding of it. But the most important reason we talk about the gospel and the doctrine of the church is because we believe that the scriptures reveal them both, right? It's all about the scriptures. Just what we're going to talk about is part of what we believe. We're trying to go to the scriptures to understand uh, how God has revealed these two very important things. The gospel and our faith. You have some folders there. I want you to open them up if you haven't already. You're going to be able to follow along. There's a ton of scriptures attached to a lot of the things that we're going to talk about. I'm not going to read all those scriptures. Matter of fact, I would encourage you uh, to do that. Over the next week, we're going to make some statements about what we believe. We're going to read a scripture in the, in, in, the, in the book of Jude. And we're going to probably refer to some scriptures along the way. But, you know, really, I, I'm encouraging everyone here to be investigating these things for themselves. We're going to make some statements about our understanding of the gospel. Some statements about our understanding of the, the doctrine of the church. It's my encouragement to you to not just take it at face value. But to take a look at those scriptures this week, over the next couple of weeks, and really dive in and, and search the scriptures for yourselves. It's of critical importance that we do that. So the, the verse, actually, or a couple of verses that I want to read uh, about these big things, the gospel and the doctrine of the church, is found in this wee little book that you may not even know existed. Right before Revelation. Did I already say it? See, I already hooked you all up with the answer. Jude, that's right, the gospel, or yeah, the book of Jude. Listen to this, a uh, couple verses here. Beloved, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Beloved, I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, right? Jude is looking at the dearly loved people of God. And he's saying, man, oh man, I was writing to you because I wanted to talk to you about something that we share together. Salvation in Jesus Christ. I wanted to write to you to articulate and celebrate and clarify the gospel. I wanted to do that, man. I, I really wanted to do that. But at the very same time, I noticed that people had crept in who were going to make a mess of the doctrine of the church. So I'm writing to you what? Appealing to you to contend, to fight, to make battle for the faith that was once for all 
delivered to the saints, the people of God, the church. So you see tonight that it's my heart to talk about our common salvation. Right? Just like Jude, that's, that's, a, that's a desire in my heart that we could talk about the gospel. And at the very same time, to recognize that we live in a day and age where there is much confusion and disorder and, let's just call a spade a spade, heretical teaching about what Christianity is all about. The doctrine that the church is built on. And so we're going to talk about that too. All before kickoff. I'm a dork, I know. Let me ask you a question. You're standing in an elevator, and out of nowhere, someone just comes up to you, kind of grabs you by their shirt, and says, come on, man, tell me. What is the gospel? You've got 30 seconds max to answer that question. What would you say? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ that you speak of? What is that? What are some of the things that you would say? What would be your response in the limited amount of time that you have? Because really, if someone were to ask the question, what is the gospel, and you had all the time in the world, you would open up to Genesis chapter 1 and just begin reading until the end of Revelation. That's the gospel, right? That's the fullness of the gospel. But you don't have time for that, and you are all so glad that I do not have time for that this evening. But you got so much time. What would you say to that question? That's an important question for a church that claims to stand on the gospel that's being sent into the uh, suburbs of Onondaga County to bring it. What is the gospel? I encourage you to take a three-by-five card this week and to write encouragement to your pastor. Just kidding. That's what you said last week. Take a three-by-five card and write down your definition and understanding of the gospel. I think it's important that we do that. So to be clear tonight, you know, and, and trying to discern why the answer to that question matters, I mean, this is what Jesus preached, right? Mark 1.15. Right? He came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This is what Jesus taught. And Romans 1 tells us that, that, that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of what? The gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So when we talk about the gospel, it has importance because this is what Jesus te uh, taught and this is what saves us. This is our common salvation. Renovation Church's answer to the question, what is the gospel, is this. I want you to follow along and see if you can't see some major themes that need to be highlighted. The gospel is this, according to Renovation Church, at least in short form. The one and only God who is righteous created us to love, know, and represent Him. We made a choice, however, to violate uh, God's righteousness with our sin, and thus we are unable to love, know, and represent Him on our own. Our sin and lack of righteousness deserves punishment. The anger and judgment of God. Because we cannot satisfy His righteous requirement on our own, God sent His Son, Jesus, who is both fully human and fully God, to live a perfectly righteous life 
and to die on a cross that He might save us from the punishment that our sin deserves. After three days, Jesus rose from the dead, showing that God the Father had accepted the sacrifice of the Son Jesus on behalf of His people. And now, God calls us to trust in Jesus, to have faith in the sufficiency of His work on the cross, and to repent, changing our minds about the sufficiency of our old way of living. When we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven of our sin, credited with Christ's righteousness, adopted as sons and daughters, and given new and eternal life. We also receive the presence of God's Spirit in our lives, thus producing the fruit of the Gospel and enabling us to love, know, and represent God as we were created to do. Everyone go like this. That's Renovation Church's understanding of the Gospel. What main themes do you see in there? Let's, let's talk a little bit. All right? You tell me, what is a main theme that you see in there that needs to be highlighted? If you're going to break it down to, to four or five things that are key elements, what would you say? Sin. That's right. Sin. The violation of God's righteous requirement. Our rebellion against the Word of God. Man is now uh, a sinner and lives in that sin. That's good. What else? God's love. Absolutely. Central to our understanding of the Gospel is the love of God. And where do we see that love most clearly revealed? In Jesus' death. That's right. The death of Jesus. Today, people don't want to talk about the death in the blood of Jesus, do they? But our gospel is unambiguous. We believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life, and that He died. And that His blood was truly, not conceptually, spilled on behalf of sinners, thus being the satisfactory sacrifice that appeased the wrath of God against sin. Somebody give me something with that. Amen. What's another one? Jesus, the Savior, man, the sinner. What's another main aspect of the gospel that we cannot ignore? Judgment. Absolutely. In that, which we just talked about, right? That, that the judgment of God on sin in Jesus. He's holy. He can't ignore that. He must judge in righteousness. What else? Faith and repentance. Bingo. Response. Right? In our gospel, we must have response. At the very least, the gospel must lead to a response. Faith and repentance. Right? He proclaimed the gospel, right, of the kingdom. Telling people, repent and believe. 
right? And repentance is a turning from our sin and a turning to God. And faith is, as is, is one person would say and define it, uh, Greg Gilbert in his book, What is the Gospel, which I highly recommend. I believe we have some at our resource table today at the Connection Center. Great tool to hand to people that are just asking the simple question what our faith is all about. We see that he talks about faith being reliance, right? It was, it's what we are relying fully and completely relying on the death of Jesus on our behalf to be the thing that, that gives us a right relationship with God. It's full reliance. We're not coming with our own merit. We're not coming with our own righteousness. The only righteousness that gives us relationship with God is Christ's righteousness. And so by faith, we're relying on His work. Good. One more thing that's actually right smack dab at the beginning. His righteousness, that's right, His righteousness is the operating principle, absolutely, the originating principle, right? I was talking to somebody recently about about his understanding of truth, and he was talking about about, uh, destiny, but he didn't believe in origin, right? There's no destiny if there's no origin, and so what we see here is that the original operating principle was God. He always has been, always will be. And He's always existed in righteousness. And when He created us, He created us as a representation of that righteousness. Amen? So God is our righteous Creator who made us to love, know, and represent Him in the world. So God the Creator, man the sinner, Jesus the Savior, and the response of reliance and repentance for the forgiveness of sins, the receiving of the Spirit, and now a relationship with God that we can now represent Him again the way we were originally created to be. You tracking with me? That's our understanding of the Gospel in very simple terms. So if you had 30 seconds in an elevator, you're going to hit God the Creator, righteous Creator, man the sinner, who who disobeyed and rejected God's righteousness and now lives in that sin and the penalty of that sin. But Jesus, the Savior, who comes to deliver us from that through His sacrifice on the cross in our place for our sins, and now if we just rely and trust and repent and turn from our sin and turn to God and rely upon Him, we're saved. That's our common salvation. That's something to get excited about. That's something to build the church on. Right? What's your understanding of the gospel? It's important as you consider joining Renovation Church. Because Christ's people cling to the gospel. Right? If we cling to a lot of things, but for sure, sadly enough, we cling to too many things. But for sure, to be a follower of Jesus is to hold on tight at the base of the cross and say, I'm never letting go. As you know that the cross itself never lets you go. The gospel is something that the Christian clings to. Is that true about you? Do you cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do you deal with it casually? Is this your life, your being? Is this just 
something on a piece of paper that you'd say, yeah, I believe that. I'm sure that's true. Christ's people cling to the gospel. He wanted to write about that, the common salvation. And I think there's so much built into that statement. There's a lot of scripture references, I believe, at the bottom of your uh, statement. That again, I I encourage you to examine and go to as, as you articulate and discern your understanding of the gospel. But there's more. There's more. And so we turn to maybe even a more detailed and robust understanding of all that God has revealed in the Scriptures about who He is and what He's done for His people. So while we not only look at our common salvation, it's necessary. It's demanded in the moment. If there's ever been a time in the world that we need a clear understanding of sound doctrine, it's in 2014. And again, I'm not to say that more so than 2013, but we need a clear, robust, and and personal connection to the doctrine of the church. And not just some, yeah, I believe in that casual understanding that really doesn't take root in our heart, nor change our life, nor make any impact in our community. We're building this congregation on something so much more than just this little moment in time. It's so important for us to see. What God is doing in us in this time is built upon something, a deeper, more profound faith that is 2,000 years old. Rooted in historic, orthodox Christianity. We're just playing uh, one strand in the, in the tapestry of what God is doing while we await the return of Jesus. But what brings it all together is the, the rebar, if you will. Is that the right term? That's in the foundation where all the cement is poured on that gives it its strength. This church is just, the rebar is the doctrine and the theology and the scripture The truth of God's word is the rebar that gives it strength. Not the website, not the, you know, not the countryman Mike, not the awesome youth room on Sunday night that's in conflict with the Super Bowl. None of that. Not our signs, not a facility that we may or may not move into soon. None of those things. We're not building anything on those things. We're not building it on any man in this room or woman. We're not building it on any denomination or anything like that. We are building this church on historic orthodox doctrine. And if we're not, let's just go home. That's the strength that fuels our mission, that shapes our relationships. So often we say, oh, I'm not into all that stuff. That's intellectualism. No. Yes, the gospel is pure and it is simple and it is wonderful because of that. That it doesn't take a rocket science to see Jesus for who He is. But oh, is it profound? Is it rich? Is it rooted in history? It's so much bigger than us? Absolutely. So you're in an elevator. 
you got three minutes or less or something. And somebody says, we, okay, I, I hear the gospel thing. Tell me what you believe. What would you put down? What would you say? You write it down. What would you say to him? These are the things that I believe. Unshakable conviction. What would you say? I believe the Broncos are going to win by 10. What would you say to the, uh, that question? What do you believe? This question matters because belief is a matter of life and death. Did you hear what I said? Belief is a matter of life and death. That is what we believe in. The content of our faith, the object of our faith, our trust, our reliance, is a matter of life and death. It's not just about who do you attach to, what's your peer group, what's your faith affinity. Does we divide the world up and have some demographic stats. That's not what we're trying to get at here. We're talking about life. We're talking about eternity. And we're talking about death. And some people today will say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Survey said, nobody watched Family Feud. Am I getting that old? I'm getting old. I was sitting there with some students, some high school students uh, at Faith Heritage, talking to them at the Houghton tournament. And I said, you know, it came, it came to appear to me that all those 16 years and under, and under here, uh, I, I played in the Houghton tournament before you were born. And I thought, that's the first time I was able to say something like that. That's kind of scary. You know? When I was around, we had to do host homes. And man, you go to hotels. Anyway. I'm getting old. What is, is that true? It doesn't matter what we believe in as long as we believe. As if faith itself, just, just faith, is what saves. Or does the object of our faith mean something? What we trust in matters. What we rely upon matters. Not just faith itself. It's the object of our faith that warrants or gives uh, salvation. Not faith itself. Can we be clear too? Not everybody believes the same thing. Can we just, just, again, don't need to be a rocket science to see that not everybody believes the same thing. That's pretty offensive to most of the world, other religions. Say, oh yeah, we pretty much believe in the same God. It's all the same thing. So we don't believe the same thing. And that's an issue. That matters. Because what we believe is important. Because what we believe in is a matter of life and death. I also think it's important that we define our faith as full dependence and reliance, which we've said. It's not just mental assent. It's not superficial affirmation. You're going to have the opportunity to, to check a box in the membership application. I pray that your faith is not limited to the checking of a box. Yes, I've read the statement and I agree. More robust commitment than that, I would hope. The last thing I want to say before I walk through just, just a, a list quickly here is that um, our faith is objective before it's subjective. Write that down. We're really good at the subjective faith in evangelical Christianity in the 21st century, aren't we? What I mean by that is, this is what I believe. Right? Well, 
this is what God told me. This is what's on my heart. We're really good at the subjective things that no one can really argue with. <laughs> and I was in the woods and God told me to move to Arizona. Okay, I guess you better go. Right? And again, I'm, no one's here to make fun of some of these experiences where God has really seemed to, to draw near to you and to speak to you personally. Nobody is here to make fun of that or, or mess with that at all. But I do think in our emphasis of the subjective reality of our faith, we have missed out on the objective reality of our faith. That is beyond our experience, right? We're really good at resting in the authority of our experiences, aren't we? And oftentimes when we hear Scripture being taught, we'll challenge it because, ah, that's not what I experienced. Right? The objective reality comes into question because of the subjective experience that we've had. Am I crazy? I don't think so. I think we're really good at that. My, especially in our individualistic religious context. Me, my, personal. We're not good at corporate. This is ours. We share this together. We're committed to one another. Man, we struggle with that. Everyone's craving community these days. Why? Because we're individualists who are isolated in our values and our faith. But when we talk about the doctrine of the church, we're first and foremost talking about something that's so beyond the individual first. I'm not saying it's not applied or empowering to the individual. Please hear that. But first and primary, primarily, this is something that is objective. It's true whether we believe it or not. It's true whether or not we experience it. It's still true. And that's what he's talking about, right? Contend for the faith. Not my faith, not your faith. Not a faith, but the faith. The objective teaching of the church. Right? What did the church do right away in Acts? And they devoted themselves to what? Acts 2.42. And they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the breaking of bread and to prayers. The faith. The faith. So what do we believe? And man, you've probably seen a lot of statements of faith before, and some of them are 27 pages long. Ours is not. We've done all that we can at Missio and Renovation to have a wide theological net. That is, to have close-handed issues that we're saying, we're going to fight about that. We're going to contend for that. We're going to die there. But other issues that we say, well, you know, some of us believe X and some of us believe Y. We're going to live with an open hand about those issues. We're not saying they're less important. We're not saying that you shouldn't read about it and pursue it and pray about it and contend for some of the personal convictions that you have. We're, we're, we're not saying not, not to do that. What we're saying is these are the close-handed issues that if one of these things are lost, we've lost the whole thing. Okay? You tracking with me? I'm going to try to go through this as, as quickly as possible without being uh, giving it injustice or disrespect. 
the faith we contend for, the faith that we're going to fight for, that are close-handed issues, that we're not bending on, that we will not apologize for in any way, shape, or form, at Renovation Church is this. Number one, God the Father. Some would say, oh, that's not a fair term in our context. God the Father. You know, it uh, seems a little masculine. seems a little uh, chauvinistic. Friends, we believe that the Scriptures teach that God is Father. Progressively, for sure. God is Father. God is Father. He's always existed. He's a person. And we talk about God being in, in three, and so we get the Trinity from that. We're going to talk about God the Son and God the Spirit in a minute. Friends, we believe in the Trinity. Again, the, people say, oh, the Trinity's not in the Bible. Touche. But Scripture clearly teaches over time, progressively, as the, as the Son really comes into the world, and the Spirit comes in and descends upon the church, that there, are, are, there is one God, that's a, that's a thing that, that we hold to very dearly, but they, this one God exists in three persons, and each person is fully God. Write those things down. I'll tell you about them later if you need to. God the Father is the first person of the Trinity. He's the beginning and the end of all things. He is the creator of the universe, author of life. Everything is for His glory, and all of history moves and finds its uh, culmination in His sovereign plan. Right? God the Father, we believe in Him. God the Son. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. We believe that He came. Right? He existed before He came. Okay? Co-eternal with the Father. But He came into human history. Virgin birth, we're going to hold to that. Born of the Virgin Mary. He's fully God, fully man. Not partial, half and half. Fully God, fully man. You say, how so? I don't know. It's beyond my mind. He was sinless. He died for sins and He conquered death. We believe that Jesus defeated the penalty of our sins. <laughs> he rose from the grave ascending to the Father where He reigns with Him today. My kids say all the time, where is Jesus? You believe in Jesus, where is He? Most people say He's everywhere. Spirit, Spirit's everywhere. Where is Jesus physically? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's with the Father. That's where Jesus is. I say He's coming soon though. He's coming again physically. He's going to show up. But He's not going to look like He did the first time. He's going to be on a horse. Evelyn's like, yes! A horse! Will He let me ride the horse? I'm like, you can ask Him. You know, maybe. He's coming back. He's going to return physically. He's our Savior and Lord. And this is huge. He is the only way. We believe in the exclusivity of Jesus. He alone is the way of salvation. He alone is the truth. He alone is the perfect sacrifice. He alone is the way back to relationship with the Father. Period. End of story. God the Spirit. Third person of the Trinity. He was sent to convict the world of sin. Right? Most of our understanding of, of the Spirit comes from John 14 through 16. So I think it would be good for you guys to, to spend some time there. 
He, he came as a witness, right? He will witness to Jesus, and you too will witness. That's again in John 14 through 16. He's a revealer of God's truth, right? Jesus came revealing, making known what was not known. And so now the role of the Spirit is to do the same thing. Revealing, making known what is not known through the ministry of the church. You say, man, this is it's really hard to obey God. Raise your hand if you think it's hard to obey God. Now, some of you are really good at obedience. I, I find it hard. But you know who helps, who enables, who empowers me to obey God with joy? The Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God living inside His people, empowering them to live obedient lives joyfully. We believe in the gospel. Number four, we've already talked about that, right? God the creator, Jesus the savior, man the sinner, and, and the, the, the faith and repentance is the response. Friends, we believe that the Bible is God's word. We believe that God has revealed himself on the pages of Scripture. People say today, God doesn't speak to me. True or false? False. God's spoken. And His Word is eternal, and it continues to speak to us in our day. Right? It's, we say it's inspired by the Spirit, inerrant and sufficient for faith and life. The Scriptures are sufficient. We don't need any other thing than the Scriptures to know who God is. We don't need a retreat to get to know God. We don't need to get away. right? We need to get in the Scriptures to know and see God for who He is. People say, man, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't know how to grow in relationship with God. I'm struggling. You ask him, well, when's the last time you read the Scriptures? Oh, I don't read the Scriptures. Fair enough. There's no possible way for you to get to know God without the Scriptures. The Bible is revealed. Word of God is useful for teaching, encouraging, correcting. First, uh, 2 Timothy 3 is a great text for understanding of that. Humanity, number six, the pinnacle of God's creation. Right? We, nobody's hating on animals. Nobody's hating. But men and women were created in the image of God and stand out as the pinnacle of God's creation. Right? We were made to represent Him. Sadly enough, we fell. We rejected His Word. We chose to disobey Him. And now we live in a state of sin. Not just commit sinful acts, but we are born into sin. And are in need of a Savior, which we've already talked about is Jesus. The church, we talked about a couple weeks ago, and even next week, Jim is going to come, Jim Murphy from Missio, and talk to us about the nature and purpose of the church. The church is God's chosen instrument to bring the gospel to every man, woman, and child. 
Again, nobody's hating on the parachurch. But there's something unique about the church. The church is Christ's body. The church, right, is the bride. Organizations, yay. But there's something about the church that stands out as God's chosen instrument to reach the nations. That's why we want to plant a church in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County because we believe the Scriptures teach that what? We are the people of God that are in these communities to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We, as the church, are the recipients of the mercy of God. So we believe in the church. Go to to a Christian bookstore. Bestseller, book number one, Quitting Church. Number two, Why I Left the Church. Number three, uh, Men Don't Like Church. Number four, Kids Don't Like Church. You know, am I crazy? Today in droves, people are walking away from Christ's wife. People say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. That's like saying, hey, Mike, dude, I love getting together with you, man. You're you're a great guy, but your wife is annoying. We all know that it's reverse. I get that. I get that. I get that. But that's not a loving thing to me. I'm one with her. You say you like me, but you can't stand my wife. You don't like me. Right? We love Jesus. We love the church. We believe in it. We believe in the church. Christ's people are those who cling to the gospel, and Christ's people are those who contend for the faith. Friends, this is what we're doing here. We're clinging to the gospel. We're contending for the faith. There are so many things we did not talk about. I'm sure you got questions. Great. Write them down. Let's talk. But these things, these things, we believe wholeheartedly. We will not budge. We will not shake. We will be willing to die for our faith and for the gospel. You say, that's kind of radical. We don't like that, do we? We don't, <laughs> we don't like radicalism. right? We watch the news and we go, oh, those are a bunch of radicals. Not us. We're chill. right? We're not committed to anything other than ourselves. We're pretty radical about ourselves, aren't we? Man, oh man, when the maze knows he wants something, we're pretty radical about trying to get it. That's what we're good at. We're radical about ourselves. But we see that what Christ's people, when we receive mercy, right, we begin to, we begin to come, become, become radical about something beyond ourselves. We begin crazy. Like, you believe that? You better believe I, I believe that. Right? You, you better know that I believe in Jesus and what He's done for me. You better know that I trust and cling to the cross as the perfect way for me to get back to God. You better believe that. You better recognize that there are certain things that I am unwilling to bend on, that I'm willing to die for. And that's my faith. 
And the reality is this, I'll leave you with this story, as many people have. Many people have died for these things. Things that we can so easily take for granted. Things that we look on a piece of paper and address very casually. People have died and continue to die for. One of the most profound stories of the martyrs is uh, one about the, the story of John Huss. You may or may not have heard of John Huss, but I want to read to you a little bit from his story. Listen to this. An Italian prelate pronounced the sentence of condemnation upon John Huss and his writings. Huss protested, saying that even at this hour he did not wish anything but to be convinced from the Holy Scriptures. He fell upon his knees and asked God with a low voice to forgive all his enemies. Sound familiar? Then followed his degradation. He was enrobed in priestly vestments and again asked to recant. Again he refused. With curses, his ornaments were taken from him. His priestly tonsure was destroyed. And the sentence was pronounced that the church had deprived him, put upon his head with the inscription, some word, meaning the leader of a heretical movement. Huss was led away to the stake under a strong guard of armed men. At the place of execution, he knelt down, spread out his hands, and prayed aloud. And it is said that when he was about to expire, he cried out, Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. The executioner undressed Huss and tied his hands behind his back with ropes and bound his neck with a chain to a stake around which wood and straw had been piled up so that it covered him to the neck. At the last moment, the imperial marshal, von Papenheim, in the presence of Count Palatine, asked him to recant and thus save his own life. But Huss declined with the words, God is my witness that the things charged against me I never preached. In the same truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached, drawing upon the sayings and positions of the holy doctors, I'm ready to die today. He was then burned alive at the stake and his ashes thrown into the Rhine River. Christ's people are those who cling to the gospel and contend for the faith, no matter what it costs us, even our own lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess to you that we have often approached the glorious gospel 
the teaching and doctrine of the church in a very casual nature. And yet we know, as we've stated, that the Spirit of God lives in each and every one of us. And we pray that as we continue to solidify ourselves as a gospel-founded church and a doctrine-founded church in these areas, that Your Spirit continues to shape us, to teach us, and to call the things that the Scriptures teach to mind. Spirit of God, we trust You together to reveal Jesus, to teach us, to shape us, and to mold us into the people that You want us to be, a people that cling to the gospel of Jesus and refuse to let go, empowered by the Spirit. And who are willing to fight. Not with punches and guns and spears. But fight with our lives and our words. for the gospel of Jesus and the teaching of His church. We pray this in His name. Amen.